0: Science, science. 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 Perspective.
1: Perspective. Perspective, 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 Science,
0: Perspective. Welcome to a Writer in the Lab podcast from Newcastle University, providing you with inside perspectives from scientists and engineers in their own words, discussing the nature of science and engineering and the joys and challenges of doing research and why it matters. To meet targets for reducing the world's carbon emissions and improve air quality, the world requires new ways to generate and distribute energy. Renewable energy is on the rise, but energy networks are in need of a serious upgrade. Today, electricity, gas and transport networks are separate, but what if they were joined together? In this edition, we feature energy experts from the EPSRC National Centre for Energy Systems Integration, led by Newcastle University, in partnership with the University of Edinburgh, Durham University, Heriot-Watt University and the University of Sussex. First up, Dr Andrew Jenkins introduces Integral, a demonstrator of the EPSRC National Centre for Energy Systems Integration, and a collaboration between Northern Gas Networks, Newcastle University, Northern Power Grid, Northumbrian Water and Siemens to create an integrated energy system for all.
2: What we're doing is we're trying to decarbonise the UK's and the world's uh, energy systems, and there are a number of different ways that that could be done. So, for example, the UK's energy use at the moment is roughly 20% electrical, 40% transport and 30% heat. There's a, there's a big drive at the moment to move the transport onto the electrical system through electric vehicles, although there are other options through hydrogen vehicles and others. If we're to move all of that energy onto the electrical network, then we're likely to have grid constraints which need to be managed Now a grid constraint is almost like when you're driving down your motorway with the two lanes at five o'clock in the afternoon. It gets a bit snarled up, so you need an extra lane and that costs a huge amount of money to dig up the roads and put the copper in the ground to enable those electrons to flow. So an alternative option is to uh, make those cars, so to speak, travel at a different time of day. And to do that, we use energy storage. Energy storage in itself is quite expensive. And so there's other options that we can use, like using existing flexibility within the system, where we just need to add the control. So, for example, we could use the gas network and the compression within the gas network. We've got to push the gas around the network with compressors, and those compressors are driven by electrical loads. So what we could do is turn those compressors down or up for short periods of time, which would have an impact on the pressure in the gas network, but also the demand on the electrical network. And that could enable us to get more renewables onto the electrical system than we could do otherwise. And how long you can get away with those things to happen for um, before it becomes a problem for either network is one of the things that we're researching within SESI. The National Centre for Energy Systems Integration and also that we can demonstrate within Integral the new facility that we're we're developing with our partners.
0: Integrated energy has major potential in making our energy system cleaner and low carbon. Electricity tends to be the focus, but is only one part of the story as explained by Professor Phil Taylor, Head of the School of Engineering at Newcastle and Director of the EPSRC National Centre for Energy Systems Integration.
3: If you look at the hard facts, we've decarbonised about 30% of the electricity grid with all of the world's combined efforts in renewable energy and smart grids and all of that. For about 20 years, we've managed to decarbonise 30% of our electricity consumption. Yeah. Electricity consumption is 20% of overall energy consumption in the UK. So we've decarbonised 30% of 20% in 20 years. And all the rest is in transport and gas and all these other sectors. A single vector solution isn't going to cut it. But I think there is, there has been, and there still is a bit of a fantasy that what we'll do is we'll move heat and transport onto the electrical network. We'll decarbonize the electrical network 100% instead of 30. And we'll cope with the fact that we're moving all that extra demand on by energy efficiency. How on earth are you going to do it? The numbers just don't add up, so you've got to go to the other vectors, you've got to take a multi vector approach, otherwise, we're just not going to get there. It's it's simple because the other, I guess, another vector would be heat. Now, heat is the vector, but you could carry that with different energy carriers. You could could have uh, energy, uh, heat moving around a heat network with different sorts of chemicals carrying that heat, or water. Now, water is an energy carrier in the home carrying heat around the house around the radiators for example remember you'd have to build a grid an electrical grid of five times the capacity of the grid we've got today to be able to put the heat demand onto it and I think i bored everybody by saying the electrical grid in the UK spans from here to the moon and back again so you'd have to build something of that scale with five times the capacity of the grid we've got now now even if you've got the money to do that and you decided that was the right thing to do could you build it in enough, could you build it quick enough to hold climate change?
0: One major solution for addressing air quality and climate change together is electric vehicles. Electric vehicles stand to revolutionise not only our transport system, but also how we use energy. Dr Miriam Neymar from the School of Engineering and the EPSIC National Centre for Energy Systems Integration tells us about the importance of electric vehicles to the energy network and a nationwide project to test vehicle-to-grid technology nationwide.
4: Battery electric vehicles uh, have the potential to break uh, our dependence on fossil fuel in both transport and electricity sectors. However, if we leave the cars, charging the electric cars uh, unmanaged, that we can create problems to our electricity network. So, to uh, transform those electric cars into an asset rather than a problem and help both transport and electricity networks, we need to manage. The charging of these cars, but uh, typically a car is parked most of the time, and then the driving range is well within the, uh, the range of the electric vehicle. So you have those cars parked for most of the time with an excess energy in the battery. So why not use the excess and availability to help support the power system? And that's how we can integrate both transport and electricity to help both these sectors decarbonize. The project is called E4Future. It is funded by Innovate UK, and the project lead is Nissan, in collaboration with EON, uh, UK Power Networks, Northern Power Grid, and Imperial College London, and obviously Newcastle University. The project is built on a smaller scale one that we started here in Newcastle with Northern Power Grid on vehicle-to-grid, and this uh, Network Innovation Allowance V2G project allows us to speak with more partners and get to a bigger project like e future So um, on e future Nissan is planning to roll out 1,000 vehicle-to-grid chargers in the UK. The main target areas will be in northern power grid and UK power network areas. So these chargers will be connected to distribution networks. And we are going to aggregate these charges to provide services to the system operator, to national grid, but at the same time to the distribution network operators, UKPN and NPG. And we will investigate how much these services were beneficial to the network operators so that we could determine the revenues and eventually how much a fleet can make by providing services to the grid. So on, on the EFA future project, we are targeting fleets. So if you're a fleet operator, why would you be interested in electric cars? And why would you be interested in a specific type of charging infrastructure, which is vehicle to grid? And our customer proposition is that it will help you reduce the cost of operation of your fleet because you have those electric cars using them for your transport needs, but then when you're not using them, why not? help support the electricity network and in return you get revenues so there's decarbonized decentralized digitized as well so here there's a big part for communication and control to allow this to happen to coordinate millions of these resources on a local level but also on an overall system to be uh, optimized you want this um, network to be self-healing self-organizing so that's where the there with soya highly distributed this is where i'd like to see it go and that's what i'm working towards
0: while the prospects of digitizing our energy system are virtually limitless it also leaves our energy infrastructure potentially open to cyber attacks which could damage the energy system and lead to cascading failures dr zoya from the School of Engineering and the EPSRC National Centre for Energy Systems Integration introduces her research on cyber security and how to keep the lights on in the event of a cyber attack.
5: My research is concerning the design and development of ICT architecture for smart energy systems with particular focus of making the ICT architecture energy efficient. This architecture should be designed for the level of the grid where monitoring is very much underdeveloped. Actually, UK uh, energy system is growing, is going through the, this transition of becoming low carbon. And uh, to achieve this, the information and communication technology and integration with different vectors of energy is at the heart of this transition. So this uh, smart integrated energy system face new challenges. One of the challenges is how to incorporate ICT and how to deal with cyber threats. One of the main challenges in integrated energy system is to build a system that is not prone to the cascading failure. Cascading failure happens when a failure of a small fraction of node in one network lead to the failure in other dependent network. An example of real-world cascading failure is the electrical uh, grid blackout in Italy in 2003, where the shutdown of a power station directly led to the failure of other nodes in internet communication network, which in turn caused further failure of the power station. With integration of energy system, uh, the integration of energy system, it is a cost-effective way to decarbonize our energy sector and it provides resiliency and security of supply, so it can provide a lot of benefit but on the other hand as i said uh, the integration of energy system with communication and technology uh, it can pro- uh, open more doors for hackers however we should know that defending against Cyber threat in energy system is very challenging task. It it requires having a precise understanding of what the energy infrastructure is, identify and assess the potential vulnerabilities. For example, what can fail? We need to assess the threats and who can attack and the impact, what will happen if the attack happens, and understand which security mechanism we can
0: implement. A major advantage of having an integrated energy system is the use of hydrogen. Often promoted as a clean fuel of the future, hydrogen is an important energy vector that could outcompete fossil fuels, especially if generated from renewables. Keith Owen, head of systems development and energy strategy for Northern Gas Networks, tells us
3: more.
6: Since about 2015, uh, our company, along with the other gas distribution networks in the UK, have been looking at hydrogen as a substitute for natural gas both from a, a blending more hydrogen into the network and 100% substitution. So you'd be uh, cooker's fires, boilers would be running on hydrogen as a clean gas when you burn that water vapour and there's no carbon emissions. So that's a nice solution uh, to decarbonize the gas grid. What that lends itself to then, of course, is that, that added-on connectivity into the decarbonization of transport. So, particularly for the heavier fleet, uh, so trains, buses, HGVs, refuse trucks, etc., marine, all of those sorts of things, the ability to pipe very large volumes of hydrogen around to satisfy that transport need seems like a very positive step forward. Because, in doing that, of course, all of the trucks that are currently spinning around the roads with uh, tanks of diesel on the back for refueling stations are no longer required to do that. The long-term connectivity, that whole systems position between what's happening in power with battery systems and what's happening with gas and hydrogen are meeting in the middle with transport as well as with other bits of equipment. So it's a very exciting time, certainly in the UK for energy systems. The sort of work that goes on in in the UK uh, uh, historically, that, that legacy position has been of siloed electricity, gas and transport infrastructure. And when, when I say transport, I'm really referring to oil there. But by bringing all of that together and decarbonising and, and moving away from, uh, from oil particularly, uh, what, what you start to see are more efficient uses of the energy system. You get an interesting um, ability to increase the resilience of our energy systems by um, connecting, say, the gas, which is a really high resilience system, with the electricity network and providing support. If, if you connected the electricity system and the gas system through, uh, say, uh, a, a fleet of electrolyzers down in the UK, for instance, uh, an electrolyzer is something where you put electricity in and water in and it uh, uh, produces hydrogen as an output. Uh, so you can get a higher level of penetration of renewables onto the le- electricity grid through the use of a, say an uh, electrolyzer in that in that instance but what it also does whilst you're increasing decarbonization on the electricity grid by putting that green hydrogen into the, the gas grid you're doing the same on the gas grid as well so you get the interesting thing of course is if you're producing hydrogen in that way that also works really well for transport for hydrogen fuel cell vehicles so actually you could do three separate uh, energy systems just by that one simple approach so it's those sort of things that we've really got to look at uh, to understand how we deliver it in a cost-effective way in a reliable way we've got to be very careful of course that we don't stitch in some unforeseen uh, uh, situations we wouldn't want to make uh, to to create certain instabilities if we weren't careful about what we're doing so we're considered in that regard but nonetheless it's a really interesting way of looking at how we join the the systems together to make them more efficient more resilient uh, and lower cost for customers which has got to be a good thing for the uk
0: to take full advantage of the benefits integrated energy systems offer the materials used to build them are essential whether it's for energy storage such as batteries or renewable generators like solar panels Innovations in material science are at the heart of the integrated energy revolution. Dr. Libby Gibson from the School of Natural and Environmental Sciences explains more. Uh, my
1: research focuses on developing new types of solar cell and different ways to generate and store uh, power from sunlight. We have over 12 gigawatts of photovoltaic power. Um, that's 12, more than 12 nuclear reactors worth of electricity is generated by sunlight in this country. And that's all been installed in the last 10 years. So that's, I mean, that's super exciting and now the costs have come down it means that we're at a tipping point where you don't need so much the policy there, the, the economic drivers. People are seeing the benefits of solar. So I think now it's at a point where it should be sustainable. The challenge now, of course, is how do you cope with having 12 gigawatts of intermittent power? We've established the Northeast Centre for Energy Materials. Um, and this is um, a link between scientists and engineers, um, between uh Newcastle University, Northumbria and Durham. And we're trying to take this full molecules to systems approach so that we can really design a material right from the bottom up. We can understand it fundamentally with a bit of theory as well as some very sophisticated experiments. Then we integrate it into a device and we learn about key um, behaviour at the interfaces between different materials and also the materials in their environment and then look at the, and the bigger picture of how those um, devices are integrated to a full energy system. But you have to look at innovation in its context, and I think that's what Integral is bringing. It's being able to um, look at how these things uh, perform and how we can look at, at the system as a whole, really in the setting where it's, where it's going to be used, and, and that's, that's really the difference, isn't it? You
0: have been listening to a Writer in the Lab podcast recorded here in Newcastle University, presented by Emily Barker and produced by Brett Cherry and Daniel Parry. To find out more, visit ncl.ac.uk forward slash sage. Thanks for listening and see you next time.